0: Chapter 44 of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Winner Hathaway. The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Brontë. Chapter 44. october twenty fourth thank heaven I'm free and safe at last. Early, we rose swiftly and quietly dressed slowly and stealthily descended to the hall where Benson stood ready with the light to open the door and fasten it after us. We were obliged to let one man into our secret on account of the boxes and see all the servants were but too well acquainted with their master's conduct and neither Benson or John would have been willing to serve me. But as the former was more staid and elderly, and a crony of Rachel's besides, I, of course, directed her to make choice of him as her assistant and confidant on the occasion, as far as necessity demanded. I only hope he may not be brought into trouble thereby, and only wish I could reward him for the perilous service he was so ready to undertake. I slipped two guineas into his hand, by way of remembrance as he stood in the doorway holding the candle to light our departure with a tear in his honest gray eye and a host of good wishes depicted on his solemn countenance alas i could offer no more i had barely sufficient remaining for the probable expenses of the journey what trembling joy it was when the little wicket closed behind us as we issued from the park then for one moment I paused to inhale one draught of that cool bracing air and venture one look back upon the house. All was dark and still; no light glimmered in the windows, no wreath of smoke obscured the stars that sparkled above it in the frosty sky. As I bade farewell for ever to that place, the scene of so much guilt and misery, I felt glad that I had not left it before. "'for now there was no doubt about the propriety of such a step. "'No shadow of remorse for him I left behind. "'There was nothing to disturb my joy but the fear of detection, "'and every step removed us further from the chance of that. "'We had left Grassdale many miles behind us, "'before the round red sun arose to welcome our deliverance, "'and if any inhabitant of its vicinity had chanced to see us then, as we bowled along on the top of the coach, I scarcely think they would have suspected our identity. As I intend to be taken for a widow, I thought it advisable to enter my new abode in mourning. I was, therefore, attired in a plain black silk dress and mantle, a black veil which I kept carefully over my face for the first twenty or thirty miles of the journey, and a black silk bonnet, which I had been constrained to borrow of Rachel, "'for want of such an article myself. "'It was not in the newest fashion, of course, "'but none the worse for that, "'under the present circumstances. "'Arthur was clad in his plainest clothes "'and wrapped in a coarse woolen shawl, "'and Rachel was muffled in a grey cloak and hood "'that had seen better days, "'and gave her more the appearance of an ordinary "'though decent old woman than that of a lady's maid. "'Oh, what delight it was to be thus seated aloft!' Rumbling along the broad, sunshiny road, with a fresh morning breeze in my face, surrounded by an unknown country, all smiling, cheerfully, gloriously smiling in the yellow luster of those early beams, with my darling child in my arms, almost as happy as myself and my faithful friend beside me, a prison and despair behind me, receding further, further back at every clatter of the horse's feet. "'and liberty and hope before. "'I could hardly refrain from praising God aloud for my deliverance, "'or astonishing my fellow passengers "'by some surprising outburst of hilarity. "'But the journey was a very long one, "'and we were all weary enough before the close of it. "'It was far into the night when we reached the town of El, "'and still we were seven miles from our journey's end, "'and there was no more coaching, "'nor any conveyance to be had except a common cart, and that with the greatest difficulty, for half the town was in bed. In a dreary ride we had of it, that last stage of the journey, cold and weary as we were, sitting in our boxes with nothing to cling to, nothing to lean against, slowly dragged and cruelly shaken over the rough hilly roads. But Arthur was asleep in Rachel's lap, and between us "'we managed pretty well to shield him from the cold night air. "'At last we began to ascend a terribly steep and stony lane, "'which, in spite of the darkness, Rachel said she remembered well. "'She had often walked there with me in her arms, "'and little thought to come again so many years after, "'under such circumstances as the present. "'Arthur being now awakened by the jolting and the stoppages, "'we all got out and walked.' We had not far to go. But what if Frederick should not have received my letter? Or if he should not have had time to prepare the rooms for our reception, and we should find them all dark, damp, and comfortless, destitute of food, fire, and furniture, after all our toil? At length the grim dark pile appeared before us. The lane conducted us round by the back way. We entered the desolate court, and in breathless anxiety, surveyed a ruinous mess was it all blackness and desolation no one faint red glimmer cheered us from a window where the lattice was in good repair the door was fastened but after due knocking and waiting and some parleying with a voice from an upper window we were admitted by an old woman who had been commissioned to air and keep the house till our arrival into a tolerably snug little apartment formerly the scullery of the mansion, which Frederick had now fitted up as a kitchen. Here she procured us a light, roused the fire to a cheerful blaze, and soon prepared a simple repast for our refreshment, while we disencumbered ourselves of our travelling gear, and took a hasty survey of our new abode. Besides the kitchen, there were two bedrooms, a good-sized parlour, and another smaller one, which I destined for my studio, all well aired and seemingly in good repair, but only partly furnished with a few old articles, chiefly of ponderous black oak, the veritable ones that had been there before, and which had been kept as antiquarian relics in my brother's present residence, and now, in all haste, transported back again. The old woman brought my supper and Arthur's into the parlour, and told me, with all due formality, that the master desired his compliments to Mrs. Graham, and he had prepared the rooms as well as he could upon so short a notice, but he would do himself the pleasure of calling upon her to-morrow, to receive her further commands. I was glad to ascend the stern-looking stone staircase and lie down in the gloomy old-fashioned bed beside my little Arthur. He was asleep in a minute, but, weary as I was, My excited feelings and restless cogitations kept me awake till dawn began to struggle with the darkness. But sleep was sweet and refreshing when it came, and the waking was delightful beyond expression. It was little Arthur that roused me, with his gentle kisses. He was here then, safely clasped in my arms, and many leagues away from his unworthy father. Broad daylight illumined the apartment, for the sun was high in the heaven though obscured by rolling masses of autumnal vapour. The scene, indeed, was not remarkably cheerful in itself, either within or without. The large bare room with its grim old furniture, the narrow lattice windows revealing the dull grey sky above, and the desolate wilderness below, with the dark stone walls and iron gate, the rank growth of grass and weeds, and the hardy evergreens of preternatural forms, Alone remained to tell that there had been once a garden, and the bleak and barren fields beyond might have struck me as gloomy enough at another time. But now each separate object seemed to echo back my own exhilarating sense of hope and freedom. Indefinite dreams of the far past and bright anticipations of the future seemed to greet me at every turn. I should rejoice with more security, to be sure had a broad sea rolled between my present and former homes, but surely in this lonely spot I might remain unknown, and then I had my brother here to cheer my solitude with his occasional visits. He came that morning, and I have had several interviews with him since, but he is obliged to be very cautious when and how he comes. Not even his servants or his best friends must know of his visits to Wildfell, Except on such occasions as the landlord might be expected to call upon a stranger tenant, lest suspicion should be excited against me, whether of the truth or of some slanderous falsehood. I have now been here nearly a fortnight, and but for one disturbing care, the haunting dread of discovery, I am comfortably settled in my new home. Frederick has supplied me with all requisite furniture and painting materials. "'Rachel has sold most of my clothes for me in a distant town "'and procured me a wardrobe more suitable to my present position. "'I have a second-hand piano "'and a tolerably well-stocked bookcase in my parlour, "'and my other room has assumed "'quite a professional business-like appearance already. "'I am working hard to repay my brother "'for all his expenses of my account. "'Not that there is the slightest necessity "'for anything of the kind.' but it pleases me to do so i shall have so much more pleasure in my labor my earnings my frugal fare and household economy when i know that i am paying my way honestly and that what little i possess is legitimately all my own and that no one suffers from my folly in a pecuniary way at least i shall make him take the last penny i owe him if i can possibly effect it without offending him too deeply i have a few pictures already done for i told rachel to pack up all i had and she executed her commission but too well for among the rest she put up a portrait of mr huntingdon that i had painted in the first year of my marriage it struck me with dismay at the moment when i took it from the box and beheld those eyes fixed upon me in their mocking mirth as if exulting still in his power to control my fate "'and deriding my efforts to escape. "'How wildly different had been my feelings "'in painting that portrait "'to what they are now in looking upon it. "'How I had studied and told to produce something "'as I thought worthy of the original. "'What mingled pleasure and dissatisfaction I had had "'in the result of my labours. "'Pleasure for the likeness I had caught, "'dissatisfaction because I had not made it handsome enough.' Now I see no beauty in it, nothing pleasing in any part of its expression, and yet it is far handsomer and far more agreeable, far less repulsive, I should rather say, than he is now. For these six years have wrought almost as a great change upon himself as on my feelings regarding him. The frame, however, is handsome enough. It will serve for another painting. The picture itself I have not destroyed, as I had first intended. I have put it aside, not, I think, from any lurking tenderness for the memory of past affection, nor yet to remind me of my former folly, but chiefly that I might compare my son's features and countenance with his, as he grows up, and thus be enabled to judge how much or how little he resembles his father, if I may be allowed to keep him with me still, and never to behold that father's face again. "'a blessing I'd hardly dare reckon upon. "'It seems Mr. Huntingdon is making every exertion "'to discover the place of my retreat. "'He has been in person astoundingly, "'seeking redress for his grievances, "'expecting to hear of his victims if not to find them there, "'and has told so many lies, "'and with such unblushing coolness "'that my uncle more than half believes him.' and strongly advocates my going back to him and being friends again. But my aunt knows better. She is too cool and cautious, and too well acquainted with both my husband's character and my own, to be imposed upon by any specious falsehoods the former could invent. But he does not want me back. He wants my child, and gives my friends to understand that if I prefer living apart from him, he will indulge to him and let me do so unmolested, and even settle a reasonable allowance on me, provided I will immediately deliver up his son. But heaven help me! I am not going to sell my child for gold. Though it were to save both him and me from starving, it would be better that he should die with me than that he should live with his father. Frederick showed me a letter he had received from that gentleman, full of cool impudence, such as would astonish any one who did not know him but such as i am convinced none would know better how to answer than my brother he gave me no account of his reply except to tell me that he had not acknowledged his acquaintance with my place of refuge but rather left it to be inferred that it was quite unknown to him by saying it was useless to apply to him or any other of my relations for information on the subject as it appeared i had been driven to such extremity that I had concealed my retreat even from my best friends, but that if he had known it, or should at any time be made aware of it, most certainly Mr. Huntington would be the last person to whom he should communicate the intelligence, and that he need not trouble himself to bargain for the child, for he, Frederick, fancied he knew enough of his sister to enable him to declare that whatever she might be, or however situated no consideration would induce her to deliver him up thirtieth alas my kind neighbors will not let me alone by some means they have ferreted me out and i have had to sustain visits from three different families all more or less bent upon discovering who and what i am whence i came and why i have chosen such a home as this their society is unnecessary to me to say the least, and their curiosity annoys and alarms me. If I gratify it, it may lead to the ruin of my son. If I am too mysterious, it will only excite their suspicions, invite conjecture, and roast them to greater exertions, and perhaps be the means of spreading my fame from parish to parish, till it reach the ears of someone who will carry to the Lord of Manor. I shall be expected to return their calls, but if upon inquiry I find that any of them live too far away for Arthur to accompany me, they must expect in vain for a while, for I cannot bear to leave him unless it be to go to church, and I have not attempted that yet. For it may be foolish weakness, but I am under such constant dread of his being snatched away, that I am never easy when he is not by my side, and I fear these nervous terrors "'would so entirely disturb my devotions, "'that I should obtain no benefit from the attendance. "'I mean, however, to make the experiment next Sunday, "'and oblige myself to leave him in charge of Rachel for a few hours. "'It will be a hard task, but surely no imprudence, "'and the vicar has been to scold me "'for my neglect of the ordinances of religion. "'I had no sufficient excuse to offer, "'and I promised—' If all were well, he should see me in my pew next Sunday, for I do not wish to be set down as an infidel, and besides, I know I should derive great comfort and benefit from an occasional attendance at public worship. If I could only have faith and fortitude to compose my thoughts in conformity with the solemn occasion, and forbid them to be for ever dwelling on my absent child, and on the dreadful possibility of finding him gone when I return and surely God, in his mercy, will preserve me from so severe a trial, for my child's own sake, if not for mine. He will not suffer him to be torn away. November third. I have made some further acquaintance with my neighbors. The fine gentleman and beau of the parish and its vicinity, in his own estimation at least, is a young,
1: Here it tended. The rest was torn away. How cruel! Just when she was going to mention me, for I could not doubt it was your humble servant she was about to mention, though not very favorably, of course. I could tell that, as well by those few words as by the recollection of her whole aspect and demeanor towards me in the commencement of our acquaintance. Well, I could readily forgive her prejudice against me, and her hard thoughts of our sex in general when i saw to what brilliant specimens her experience had been limited respecting me however she had long since seen her error and perhaps fallen into another in the opposite extreme for if at first her opinion of me had been lower than i deserved i was convinced now that my deserts were lower than her opinion and if the former part of this continuation had been torn away to avoid wanting my feelings, perhaps the latter portion have been removed for fear of ministering too much to my self-conceit. At any rate, I would have given much to have seen it all, to have witnessed a gradual change, and watched the progress of her esteem and friendship for me, and whatever warmer feelings she might have, to have seen how much of love there was in her regard, and how it had grown upon her in spite of her virtuous resolutions and her strenuous exertions to. But no, I had no right to see it. All this was too sacred for any eyes but her own, and she had done well to keep it from me.
0: End of chapter 44. Recording by Winna Hathaway in Fayetteville, North Carolina.